So today we'll do part two of the extraordinary or the extraordinary life coming from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 through 19. Um, today we'll do the second half of that. But before we do that, let's just read verse 17 through uh, 19 again, just to refresh our memory. And I'll also kind of do a, a little overview. I know it was a couple weeks ago. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. The word of God reads this way. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding, exclu excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. With greediness. And we're going to stop there. So this is part two of the extraordinary life. And we are learning what the extraordinary life looks like by looking at what it is not, right? That's what Paul is showing us, what the extraordinary life does not consist of. So here in Ephesians 4, he's showing us what the ordinary life is. And as Christians, we are not called like our Lord to be ordinary, but we are called to be lights that shine in the world. We are called to live above the ordinary, but to be extraordinary. And the last time I was here, the number one con uh, contributor we discussed to the ordinary life is a hard heart, a hard heart towards God. And a hard heart leads towards God, leads to separation from God and no understanding. And I last, uh, when I was up here, I challenged all of us to examine our hearts. I challenged all of us to examine our hearts to see if our heart has hardened towards God, to see if... I am becoming insensitive to the things of God if my heart is beginning to dull to the things of God. Um, do you find yourself being bored by prayer? Do you find yourself being, <laughs> being, uh, being bored by reading your scripture? Um, do you find yourself tired of just living according to the commandments of God? That could be a sign that your heart is becoming insensitive to the things of God, dull or hardening to God. So that's one of the challenges for us. That will always be the challenge that we examine our heart to make sure that it's right, that it's still finding joy and fulfillment in the things of God. Um, we also discuss how one of the things that can lead to a hardened heart is sin. From Ephesians, sin is the, is the thing that goes and it hardens our heart. It, it can create like a cast around our heart. So we have to guard our hearts against sin because it can harden our heart and affect our relationship with God. Then we also briefly touched on the futile mind. Um, I know that was one of the first one that Paul mentions in verse 17. And we'll actually dig a little bit more into that next week when, we, when Paul talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we briefly touched on it before, but we'll really we'll dig into it um, next week. But what we'll see today is we'll look at how the hard heart our hardness of heart towards God does not only affect our relationship with God, but it also affects our relationship with other people. It's not just you and God, but your hardness of heart towards God can also affect your relationship, again, with other people. Um, we can sometimes wonder how can people um, do such cruel acts to other people, right? You, you see such cruel, violent acts in the world, and not even just cruel.
cruel, violent acts, but people do cruel things on social media, even, you know, posting private information about people or just lying about people, spreading rumors. People do some cruel things, and we'll see why they do those things. Why can they do such cruel things with indifference? Well, it all stems from a hard heart towards God. And the term that Paul uses for those type of people, that action is callous. That's what he uses in verse 19. He says they have become callous. So we'll look at what that means to be callous. Then finally, we'll address the fourth marker of the ordinary life, which is a life that is submitted, subjugated, or mastered by our sense, sensuality. It's mastered by the senses of taste, touch, feel, smell, hear. And so that's the fourth marker of the ordinary life that we'll look at today. But the first one is the callousness, the callousness of the ordinary life, the callousness of those who are living just like the Gentiles. If you recall, the example that I gave you of callousness a couple weeks ago was little Nas X. You remember I gave you that example of modern day, what that callousness can look like. How little Nas X, who does just explicit behavior, um, he's homosexual and he just does really outrageous things. And remember, he was asked by this radio host, you know, how do you feel? Can this, you know, by your behavior, how it can impact the kids and the youth? And remember, he dropped the F-bomb and said, right, blank your kids. And it's, it's easy for us, for one, to look at Little Nas X, right, and say, Little Nas X, right? It's easy for us to point our finger at Little Nas X and say, there it is. That's an example of a hardened person, right? That's an example of a person who has hardened their heart towards God. Or we can say, there it is. That's an example of a callous person, right? Or we can look at the murderer or the rapist or the child abuser and point and say, they have hardened their heart against God. That is an example of a callous person. But here's the question I want to pose to you. What about your neighbor? I know we look at the murder, I know we look at the rapist, I know we look at little Nas X and people out there just doing crazy behavior, but what about your neighbor? What about your neighbor or your friend who's an atheist but yet takes care of his family, gets up and goes to work, uh, takes their kids to school, volunteers at their kid's school, regularly goes on a date night with his wife, cuts his lawn, goes grocery shopping, but yet denies Jesus and despises the things that the Bible teaches. Do we say, oh yeah, that's an example of a hardened person. Oh, they're callous. No, we generally don't do that. We, or if we do, we really struggle to put, that, put, to put them in that callous category. Why? Because their life looks so good on the outside, right? So again, it's, it's easier to put those people out there living certain lives in this category of a hardened heart and a callous heart. But the people that on the outside that look good and work a regular nine to five, it's, it's hard to put them in that category of they're just callous or their heart has been hardened towards God. Why? Because they look good. But, we mu but what we must remember is that when the Apostle Paul writes that they have become callous, the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit does not see as man does. See, man looks on the outside. That's what we look on the outside. But God looks at the heart. And when God peers into the heart of humanity, he sees a heart that has become hardened and callous. So when the Apostle Paul in verse uh, 19 says that they have become callous, he's not just giving the description of a person living that wild nightlife in Las Vegas. 
and just living a wild, crazy nightlife of drugs and alcohol and strippers. But he's describing also that soccer mom who dismisses Jesus and her need for repentance. He's describing that nice person that greets you at the bank and says hi to you. He's describing that receptionist at your doctor's office who's so kind to you and who yet wants no part of your Jesus. He's describing that person at the local PTA office but has yet hardened their heart towards God. He's describing that A-list celebrity who builds water wells in third world country but yet refuses to believe in God. They too are hardened. Their heart has been hardened. They too are callous. But we say how can this person be callous when they do so much good in the world? They're building wells in third world country. They're helping people like the people in Bangladesh. How can we describe them as hardened of heart or callous? The criminal, yes. The mobster, yes. But the lady that is visiting the women's shelter who refuses to visit Jesus, how can we say she is callous? How can Paul make this judgment against her? How can we do that? So here's the thing. What we must see is that, how do I explain this? Here we go. When we have a hardened heart towards God, even the good deeds that we do, because we have separated from God, we're going to point and give the glory, guess what, to ourselves. Or we're going to point and give the glory to modern medicine. Or we're going to point and give the glory to science. Or we're going to point and give the glory to teamwork or collaboration. See, how hardened or callous is the clay that tells the potter that I did this? See, that is why even the people that do the good works, even the people that do the good deeds, it's still a form of callousness if they are pointing to themselves, if they're giving glory to themselves for the actions. That is how a person can, still, can do good deeds and yet still remain callous and still remain hardened. As you will see later in the text that we'll look at, a form of God's judgment is to hand us over to our flesh, to our own human nature for our own self-destruction. You'll see that a little bit later. But guess what? God can also use deeds as a form of self-destruction. Because good deeds outside of a mind that loves and submits to God will lead to pride and arrogance and foolishness and thinking, which again will lead a person down to their own destruction. So God can use good deeds to bring a person to their own uh, destruction, or he can use negative things or bad things to bring a person to their own destruction. See, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you look at it, we as a race of people, we as humankind, we are hardened. We were born hardened and we have hardened our hearts towards God. We are callous and we were born this way. And it is only by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ Church that you and I have been cleansed from that form or from that ordinary way of life. Sure, people go and do good deeds, do, do, uh, do good deeds from time to time. But the overall disposition of the heart of man from God's perspective, from God's perspective, is that that heart is hardened and that person is callous. See, we look from, at people from the eyes of our perspective, but from God's perspective, the person is callous. No matter if they're doing all of these so-called good deeds on the outside, God peers and sees the heart. So Paul is correct in saying that they are callous, that those who are living the life of the Gentile, remember the life of the Gentile are those people who are far from God. That's what that is representative. Yes, callous. And that's really representative of the whole world. All those who are separated from God, all of those who do not know Jesus, they all fit into this callous and hard-hearted category, no matter what the good deeds that they 
do. Now here's the thing. I would say, guess what? Here's the sad thing, but the true reality. The sad thing and true reality is this. People form and shape culture, right? We as people, we form and shape culture. And if the culture is formed and shaped by people who are hardened and callous, then guess what? The culture becomes hard and callous. For example, I, I grew up in a culture where and this goes back probably to the, to the beginning of time, but I grew up in a culture that encourages boys and young men to sleep with as many women as possible. And we're taught in this culture to lie, to break hearts, to say whatever you can to get everything you can from this woman. It doesn't matter if she, if you break her heart, it doesn't matter if she cries. As a matter of fact, some of, I remember like when, when, a, when some of my friends would talk about how this girl, she loved them so much that she cried. They, they would actually see that as a badge of honor so they can go brag and tell their friends how I got this girl so hooked on me that she cried and you didn't care what you did to them as long as you got what you want. And I heard that same culture, I got it from the music. They, 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 they encourage the same callousness, the same hardness from the movies that I watch. It all encourages the same hardness, the same callousness. Do you see how the callous culture comes from the callous person? And the callous person comes from a heart that is hardened towards God. That is why our world, that is why our culture is so hard. That's why our culture is so callous. Because it comes from the heart of a callous person. And callous people create culture. See, there are lawyers and prosecutors who will deny justice and send an innocent person to prison just to win a case and build their resume. See, that's callousness. The callous when it comes to morality and right or wrong, that's, that's the callousness culture that we live in in this society. There are journalists that will intentionally print lies about a person and destroy their whole life and reputation. Why? To sell a good story. See, that is the callousness of our human and fallen nature, our culture. And guess what? We as a society, we are responsible for this culture. We created it. We created it with our hardened and callous hearts. You and I, before we became in Christ, before we knew Jesus, guess what? We lived and contributed to the callous society. That's why Paul tells these Ephesians to no longer live like the Gentiles did. Why? Because they too live as a callous member of society. So he tells them to no longer live that way. He says, don't no longer think that way. Why? Because you have not been taught Christ in that manner, as Paul will later instruct them. So this callous culture, we were a part of it. We have contributed to it. But now that we are in Christ, as opposed to making bad culture, we are called to make good culture. We are called to make new culture. We are called to do culture that is above the ordinary, the extraordinary. One example of that I would I always give is Christian hip hop. You know, I always got to sneak Christian hip hop in there, right? I think about Christian hip hop because Christian hip hop and the artists, they've gone into a culture, a rap culture that started good, but then became very demonic, right? The culture became about um, materialism. It came up, it, it turned into just objectification of women. It, came, it, it turned into pride and arrogance and violence and all of this. But yet Christians have gone into that culture and they begin to reshape the culture. 
And they began to, to, to shape that culture to model or to speak to the glory of God. And so as opposed to just having multiple women, they'd gone in and, and they'd gone in and propped up monogamy and marriage. And as opposed to hating and killing your enemy, they'd gone in and taught love your neighbor and love your enemy. See, they have gone into the culture. They've gone into the culture for the glory of God and they flipped the culture on itself, on its head. And they went into a culture that was ordinary and they became extraordinary. They looked above the ordinary by going in and influencing the culture. Church, we must live different. And that's Paul's point in here to these, these Gentiles, or not really these Gentiles, but to these Ephesians. He's telling them that you must live different. We must not live like ordinary people. We must not live like regular folks in the world. We don't live like people who don't know God. But no, we live above the ordinary. We are not callous like that. We are to live different. And I get it, though. But I get it, church. I, I get how... Let me, let me back up. Let me say this. I really... Before I move to my next point, I... I I really want to stress what Paul is, is trying to get here in, in verse 19. Um, the callousness that we find in the world and how we really have to examine ourselves to make sure that that callousness is not inside of us. We really have to dig into our own hearts and to see if there is any indifference to righteousness inside of our heart. Is there any indifference to our wrong way of living and we just don't care about it? See, we have to really examine our hearts to see that I don't want this callousness being a part of me. It's this callousness, this coldness, this, this lack of indifference to the word of God, this lack of indifference to, to righteousness. Is this inside of me? Do I care, as Brother Anthony said, do I care if, if I sin and do wrong? Does it bother me? See, the issue is, yes, we sin. Yes, we fall. Yes, we do things that fall short of the glory of God. But the problem really arises when we sin and we don't care. That's the callousness. And that's what Paul is bringing out here in this text. These people who are just willing to live unrighteously, they don't even care. It doesn't even bother them. They're dull to righteousness. They can just go and live any what way and have, it doesn't even affect their hearts. And that's why Paul calls it callousness, where you don't even feel pain, you don't even feel wrong, There's no, you're just apathetic when it comes to righteousness, you, you don't even care when you're living wrong, so that is the thing we really have to guard against. When I fall, when I sin, when I come up short, does it bother me? Is there a godly sorrow there? Or can I live and continue in my sin and go about my day to day? Do I have emotion? Do I have feelings? See, Jesus says in the, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, right? For they will be comforted. Now, I understand this verse, along with many others, to mean that we are mourning over our sin. We're mourning over the sins of others. And we're mourning over the darkness of this world. And that mourning is also associated with the Old Testament people who would sit in sackcloth and ashes. And, and they would fast and want God to come and do a miraculous deed in their community. Or maybe they had fallen short. And so they would mourn in sackcloth and ashes, wanting God to have mercy upon them. That's what the mourning comes from. There's also a place in 1 Corinthians... That really brings out this, this feeling point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where you have the church at Corinth, um, they have a person in their church who is sleeping with his father or has his father's wife. And if you call in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells that church, he says, Church, you should be mourning right now. You should be mourning that this person be removed from your church. But yet he said, you are arrogant and lifted up in pride. They're puffed up. 
See, that church should have been more, and that church should have been feeling something that this unrighteousness was allowed to fester and grow in their church, but yet they were apathetic, yet they were callous, yet it didn't bother them that righteousness was, unrighteousness was going on right there in their church. See, they weren't feeling anything, and that's the callousness we're talking about here. Where sin could just go on in a church or sin could just go on in your life. And you're just fine with it. You're just indifferent to it. It doesn't really bother you anymore. And that's what was happening with the church in Corinth. They weren't feeling anything. They, they had no emotions. It was just like, oh yeah, it's, it's whatever. See, apathy and, and callousness can really sneak into the life of a believer, church. It can sneak into your life. Whereas, again, you're just not even bothered by it sin in your life. You're not even bothered by it when I fall short. It's just, eh, it's whatever. See, we can look like the church in Corinth and just not even care. Don't think you're above that temptation. That can happen to you. Think about what, what John says in John 3.17, in 1 John 3.17, he says, but whoever has his world's goods and sees his brothers in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Church, do you think that this temptation is not present to us too? Do you think that we are not subject to this? That we can grow into a callousness where I can see somebody and I can see a wrong and I can just not even care about them? I can close up my bowels towards them? See, Paul is telling these Ephesians, that's the ordinary life. Don't live that way. That's how the Gentiles live. That's how people who do not know God live. You don't live that way. We must feel. So as Brother Anthony was saying, praise God that you can feel. Because I'm sure there was a time in your life where you couldn't feel, where you can just go on doing unrighteousness and just go about your day where it was much easier just to go and fall into sin. But thank God that because of his grace, you feel, as Brother Anthony said, when you fall or you sin, you feel it. You go to the Lord in repentance and you come with godly sorrow. That is grace. That is a great thing to have because, again, that was not always the case where we had that. So that's the third marker of the ordinary life. It's a callousness. And that's the marker that we really want to guard against. If we want to live the extraordinary life, we have to watch our heart to make sure that it is not becoming callous. That it can still feel unrighteousness. That it can still have concern and care for others. That we are just not going about our regular day. So that's the callousness that Paul mentions here in verse 19. They have to come callous. Now we look at the fourth marker of the ordinary life. And that is a life submitted to the senses. And if you think callousness is bad, look what Paul says here in this, this fourth marker here. I'm going to just read verse 19 again. He says, And they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with Greediness, with greediness. So the ordinary life is a life submitted and controlled or mastered and subjugated to the senses. Your five senses, sensuality, the senses of taste, touch, smell, uh, see, and hear. That's what the ordinary life looks like. But you know what's most astounding about what Paul says here in verse 19? The thing that's most astounding is this. He says they have given themselves over given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, meaning that they just want more and more and more unrighteousness, more things that are not pleasing to God. They've given themselves over to sensuality. See, when you remove God from your life, 
This is the natural reaction. What happens when you remove God from your life, as Paul has shown us in verse 17 through 19, when you take God out of your life, when you harden your heart towards God, when that understanding is removed, guess what happens? Your body then becomes your God. Your, your senses then become your God. Then you do whatever feels good. Your, your life is now um, becomes dedicated to whatever feels good, from, from drugs to alcohol to food to party to partying to materialism. Our, our emotions become our Lord. So then we do everything based off emotion. All of our decisions are emotional decisions. We, we live off of our anger. We make decisions off of our anger. Why? Because it's based on how I feel. See, when God is removed from the picture, you are left just stuck to your senses. And you just do whatever your flesh, whatever your body says, whatever my, my body wants, that is just what I do. Now here's the major problem with that. The major problem is our senses, our emotions, our feelings, they make bad gods. They make bad gods. See, here's the truth of the matter. You being ruled by your senses, guess what? It's actually a form of God's judgment. Did you know that? See, here in the text, the word says that, verse 19, that we have given ourselves over to sensuality. But you know what the word of God says in Romans 1, which is very similar to Ephesians 4? The scripture says that God has handed us over to our bodies, to our senses. Let's go there. Look at, look at Romans 1. I want to show you. So you see how Paul says this. And I know Pastor Brian covered this when he taught on Romans. But, um... Just want to show you this because it's very vital or important. So you see back in Ephesians 4, Paul is saying that we gave ourselves over to sensuality, to our senses, to our body, to our flesh, to work all impurity. But here in Romans 1, you'll see how it says that God gave us over. So look at Romans 1, verse 22 through 24. I'm going to just read a couple verses here. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. It says here, professing to be wise, they became foolish and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Look at 24 here, here's the key verse. Therefore, what did God do when they gave up God, when they didn't want God anymore? Just like Paul says in Ephesians 4, it says, therefore, God, what, gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, just like Ephesians 4, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Go down to verse 26 to 27. Look what it says. For this reason, God, again, gave them over to degrading passions. There go our flesh, there go our sensuality, the things of the senses. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. And then look at 28 to 31. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, look what it says again for the third time, God gave them over to a um, depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Those things which are not proper. So God has handed us over to our flesh, to our senses to do those things. And guess what? We also handed ourselves over. It's just like with Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart and God also hardened his heart. God handed us over to our flesh, to our senses to work those things. And we also handed ourselves over to our flesh and our senses to work those things that are not pleasing to God. So this is really a form of God's judgment. 
See, when we harden our heart towards God in disbelief and don't submit to him, now we're stuck with this false God. God, this is judgment. God is saying, okay, you, you want to remove me from your psyche? All right, I'm, I'm handing you over to your flesh. I'm delivering you over to your flesh. I'm delivering you over to your, 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 your body. Yes, I'm, I'm, you don't have my understanding. I'm just allowing you to go by your senses. And so when that happens, then our flesh takes over. Our flesh becomes Lord. My senses become Lord. The alcohol drugs that I use to make me feel good becomes Lord. The clothes that I buy that make me look good becomes Lord. The food that tastes good becomes Lord. The explicit material that I watch with my eyes, again, the senses becomes Lord. The bad music that I think sounds good to my ears become Lord. See, all of those things titillate the senses, but all of those things are bad gods. And all those things lead us down a path of destruction. That's why Paul says it leads to more ungodliness with greed and purity with greed. It leads you, as Paul says, to practice every kind of impurity with greed. That's what happens when we are handed over in judgment to our sensuality. It just leads us down this whole road of unrighteousness and greedy unrighteousness where we just want more of it. See, some of our, our biggest mistakes in life and I'm sure we all would agree, they come from us being led by our senses. They come from us being led by sensuality. All the things and the places we wish we never visit, or places that we wish we've never gone, we visit them because our flesh, our body, the senses was ruling us. All of those actions that we hate and we're ashamed of, We've been led generally by our senses, by what feel good, what we thought was good, what sounded good, what smelled good, what looked good, what made me feel good. And we didn't just follow it, we enjoyed it. We, we wanted more of it, which is what the apostle says at the end of verse 19, with greediness, meaning I liked it, I just wanted more of it. I wanted more of that, that filth. Well, I liked how it tastes. Think about the times when I was doing my own dirt, I liked it. I liked my sin for a season. I wanted more of it. It was like, God, give me more. Give me more girls. Give me more money. Give me more vainglory. Give me more parties. Give me more alcohol. Give me more drugs. Give me more weed. I want it all. Give me more. The writer of Hebrews says that Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable for a passing period of time. That's why we wanted more. And church, this is our background. All of us in our own way, this was us, led by our senses, callous in heart, doing whatever felt good, doing whatever sounded good, doing whatever tasted good. But it's by God's grace now that you have been saved from that way of life. It's because of the blood of Jesus you have been cleansed from that ordinary living to now live to a higher standard of living. It's only by God's grace that you are no longer controlled and mastered by your senses. You're no longer, no longer controlled by sensuality, but now there's another power inside of you. It's called the Holy Spirit that helps you to live above the ordinary. But prior to that, we were just like these Gentiles here, as Paul described. Callous in heart, living according to the flesh, handed over to our sensuality and judgment. But God has saved us, and that's what I hope you can see, that you're not like this. You're not who you used to be. Why? Because the grace of God came in. He came in, and he shined his light. Ah, when, I'm, when I'm reading this text in Ephesians, I'm just saying, God, I wish I would have known this information earlier in life. 
I mean, I, I came to, to Christ in my 20s, but boy, I wish I would have understand this prior to that. I wish I would have had this, this understanding of God, but I didn't. Why? Because my understanding was dark. And that's what Paul says in verse 18. When we were living in the world, or we had a darkened understanding of the things of God. That's why we didn't even know any of this. That's why we just followed our senses. Paul said we were darkened in our understanding. We didn't have this understanding. But now God has came and he's cracked, the, the, he's cracked our hardened hearts and he replaced it with our heart of flesh. And he's gone in and taken our darkened understanding and shined his light into our minds where now we can see God. We can see Jesus. We can see his righteousness. We can see his standards. We can see now. See, we have understanding now. We didn't have understanding back then. That's why we just were led by our flesh. But now we can see. So thank God that we can see him now. We don't have to be led by our flesh. Even though our flesh and our senses constantly tries to rise up, we now have this understanding. See, our, our, our flesh and our senses are, are, are compared to like zombies. Because a zombie, you kill it once, right? We kill the bad action. We kill the bad habit. We kill that fleshly thought, but what happens? Like the zombies, it comes back to life again. It comes back to life again, which is why it's never dull or pointless, as Paul is doing here, to remind the believer to not live a certain way. Because that flesh, our senses will still constantly try to take us down that path. So it's never redundant, never pointless to do as Paul is doing to these Christians here by reminding them that you do not live that way. See, the true reality is this, our flesh, our, I'm sorry, our, our senses, the senses in themselves, the things that God has given us, taste, smell, eyes, hearing, seeing, all of those things, they're not bad. They were given to us by the creator, but your senses left unchecked and not submitted to God are very dangerous. And, and that's where the sensuality comes from. It's, it's when our flesh and our senses are not submitted to God. That's when it becomes dangerous. That's when we can be led down that path. So church, the encouragement here today is this. We cannot live like the world. We're not called to live this way. We must root out callousness in our hearts. We must look to those places where we find ourselves not affected by the word of God, where it's dull to us. We must look at our hearts to see, am I still caring for the righteous things? Does unrighteousness even bother me? When it doesn't bother you, that's a sign of hardening coming in. It's a sign of callousness coming in. We must also remember to fight against this flesh, the sensuality that it doesn't rule us. That God has given us these senses, but yes, we have to submit these senses always to the word of God. It, we don't just allow or make decisions based on how I feel. We don't just read our Bible based on how I feel. I don't just go to church based on how I feel. That's living according to the senses. But no, we bring that sense in line with the word of God. No, God has called me to come into fellowship. So even when my senses are off, even when my heart is off, even when those things are going the other way, I know what the word of God says. That's how we allow our mind and our spirit to overtake those senses. It's the word of God. It's bringing all of our senses, all of our emotions in subjugation and submission to God. And that's how we can continue to live the extraordinary life, the life above the ordinary, and not to live the life as the rest of the world. Amen. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, your truth, Lord. God, my prayer is that as my brothers and sisters go throughout their day, that you continue to minister to them through this word. Bring them a deeper understanding of the scripture that we looked at today. God, help them to see and root out any callousness inside of their hearts. God, remind them that they have power over their senses. And that we are no longer to live like the world. But we are to live as lights in this world. As members of your body. Why? Because you died for us. You saved us. You gave your life for us. So we want to live worthy of this calling you've given us, God. Help us to stand out, Lord God. Hold us up in our faith, Lord, through your word. This is our hope and prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.